0: Good morning. It's great to be here today. I'm going to stand up here and hopefully I don't fall off this thing. <laughs> we'll see though. So, we just came out of the Christmas season, and upstairs in the kids' ministry, we've been uh, doing a video series online. I'm not used to having all these things in here, but uh, we've been used to doing a video series online. And I just post videos uh, every week. And it goes along with the theme we're doing. So people that can't come right now can still be a part in some way. So this this month, well, actually most of this month, we've been doing a series about how God keeps his promises. And we've been doing it through Superbook videos. If you don't know what Superbook is, it's like a kid's cartoon where uh, some kids from like our time go back in time to Jesus' time, and they just learn a lesson and get to spend time with the bible characters it's pretty cool but we've been looking through we've been we started in genesis and we've been going all the way through seeing how god has kept his promises and we've been looking for one specific promise as we've been going through all the way to yesterday well two days ago when christmas was we've been looking for the promise of a savior to be born the promise of the king to come the one that will Undo all the wrong that's been done, all the sin that we have put on ourselves, all of the mistakes that were made back in the garden. And we've been keeping this promise going, this this video series going, where we're keeping this, pro- where we're looking at this promise as it as it develops. And the last video series was the last video in the series was called "The Promise of a Child," and. Superbooker did a really good job about this, where they actually took everything, everything they had seen and made a song about it, where they took them back in time and showed them this happened here because this ha- needed to happen later. And this is connected to this, and this is connected to this, and this is connected to this, all the way to the birth of Jesus. But, since Christmas is over, we need to know what's next. Why did he come? What's the reason for his coming? A king has come into the world, a ruler. And a ruler rules over armies. It rules over a land. It rules over an empire, a kingdom. So why did he come? Why was he needed? So, before we get started with that, if you would open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. That is Matthew chapter 16, and while you're turning there, I want to tell you about a game we play upstairs. Upstairs, we play a game called Minecraft. It's like virtual Legos. So you just build whatever you want. You can build anything from a little shack to a big old castle, and everything in between. So it's really fun. You can do tons of stuff. I don't even know how much you can do. But we have, we play in something called creative mode all the time. So you get all your materials. You don't have to go work for them or anything else. You can just build stuff. And here, I have, one of the, I have one of them from that game. This is called a Minecraft uh, torch, lantern, whatever you want to call it. But these things, they do one purpose, they light up at night so you can see what you're building, but they have another purpose. See, at, mi- at night in Minecraft, the monsters show up. Now they're not very scary monsters, they're little Lego people walking around, but they're monsters nonetheless. So they just kind of wander around, They're not very smart. They don't do a whole lot. They just kind of walk around. They just, you know, they get in the way. And if you were playing Survivor, which we never do, you could get hurt by them. But there's one way to keep them away. Now, if you put these torches everywhere around them, they can't appear. They can't just pop out of nowhere. Now they can still walk in on you, but they can't just pop out of nowhere. So if you place these everywhere in the dark, the monster can't appear. And this keeps you safe. This is a lot like what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 16. If you would stand as we read. We're starting in verse 13. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said... Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began showing his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And Peter took him aside and, and rebuked him, saying, "For, be, for be, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not sitting setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and for, forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give, give in return for his soul? For, a, for the son of man is going to come with his angels and the glory of his father and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Father, we thank you for your word. You are strong, you are powerful, you are mighty God. And I ask that you will open our mind, open our ears, and open our hearts to you, Father, that we will listen to you, obey you, and hear you, Father. For you are great. And you are mighty. In your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <laughs> I'm going to knock something off here. But if you would, go ahead and look down at verse sixteen, thirteen. Now, Caesarea Philippi is a really neat place. I've been there once. And while I was there, you could sit at the... You could stand at the bottom of the hill and look up and see Mount Hermon, snow-capped. That was a long ways away, but you could still see it. While Jesus was going there, he probably left from Caesarea, I mean, not Caesarea, uh, Capernaum, and walked up the Jordan River. That's quite a long journey. I looked on Google Earth trying to find the place, and it took me forever because it was so far away. It was only like a 20-minute bus drive, but apparently it's a long ways away. So it probably took him about, and his disciples, about two days to get there. And this is a long way to walk for Jesus to make his point. But as they were going up there, uh, they probably stopped along the way, probably did some ministry, he probably did some miracles. But when they got there, he took them around the the city. And he stopped in front of a temple, a Roman temple to the god Pan. And there... Jesus asked them a question. He asked, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said to him, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Now, he had heard all these rumors himself. He heard people talking like, He's got to be some, some prophet. He's got to be some person that's really important. Because he's from the area of Galilee. Nothing good comes out of Galilee. That's the backwoods of Israel. That's the backwoods. That's a hick town. Right? So they're, they're making up these things. They're saying, he's got to be something else. He's got to be somebody. He's got to be some prophet from long ago. There's no way anything could come out of Galilee. But Jesus asked his disciples, the people that are from Galilee and live in the area are fishermen, most of them. And he tells them, so who do you think I am? Everyone has their own opinion of who I am, but who do you think I am? I'm sure many of them are thinking the same thing, but Peter, being as bold as he is and outspoken a lot, said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Peter got the answer right. Probably most of the disciples were also thinking the same thing. And Jesus says this, He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is one of those stories, one of these marks in Scripture, where the place matters a lot. If you're outside the setting, you don't understand what Jesus is saying here. You see, this temple in Caesarea Philippi is a temple to the God Pan. He kind of rules the underworld. He's like the gatekeeper. And behind that temple is a cave. Now, this cave they used to sacrifice goats in and all kinds of stuff. It's like a giant hole in the ground. They just throw things in. But this, this cave is called the gates of hell. Jesus is telling this, proclaiming to them before the very opening to hell. And he's looking up at Mount Hermon. Now, Mount Hermon has a very special place in Jewish literature. It doesn't show up a ton in scripture, but in Jewish literature, this is the place where it's said that demons come from, where evil spirits live. And in some places, like the the scrolls in Qumran, at the top of Mount Hermon is where Satan and his angels met to plan their rebellion against God. It is a very dark place with a very dark past and is before this mountain at the very base of it that Jesus says. And the gates of hell will not prevail against this church. Now, there's something very specific about gates. Gates do one thing and they do one thing only. Well, I haven't lived in a gated city, but I would assume they do one thing only. Their main job is to keep things out and keep the people in safe. So while the people who are living in the city are doing their work, they're living, they're just doing life, the walls around them keep them safe. And the gate lets the good people in and keeps the bad people out. So these gates of hell are defensive. They don't do anything else. There might be some soldiers guarding them. There might be some soldiers on the top of the gate protecting it, but that gate is just for defense. So Jesus is saying here, the church is offensive. The church is to go and fight against these gates, to tear them down, and to breach the city. To breach the kingdom of darkness. But let's go on to see, because if you're going to siege a city, you have to have some weapons to take with you. Now what? is Jesus giving the church as their weapon. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, Jesus giving them these keys, these keys are the gospel. They open the gates of heaven. So when you go and preach the gospel to someone, where you tell someone about Jesus... The gates of heaven are open and they're welcomed in when they accept who Jesus is. But in the same way, these, gate, these keys can also be put away in your pocket. And when the, gate, the key is put away, the message is not preached, the gospel is not heard, and the gates of heaven are sealed. So Jesus is giving them this key, saying this is what this does... But then he says something different. Let's look. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Well, that's odd. You tell me that these keys are opening heaven's gates. They are the gospel message to preach and teach. Why can't I use it? Why can't I tell others about you? And there's this one thing, this one key point that Peter makes a mistake in the next one and just proves Jesus' point that they're not ready. I'll tell you a story. Last week, or two weeks ago, I was trying to fix the... Uh, well, set up a sound system upstairs for the kids' room. We're going to be using that room for wana, and it's a system that can be taken outside, so we can use it a bunch of different places. I got it all out. Randy gave me some wires, and I just laid it out, and I quickly realized after it, well not quickly, slow slow learner, after about an hour, I had no idea what I was doing whatsoever. There was wires everywhere. The speakers were where they were supposed to be, but nothing worked, and I had no idea why. So I went and got Randy, and he helped me out and showed me how to do it and where to put everything, and finally figured it out. And then I made it more complicated, and I've got to go get more stuff because I made it more complicated. But, I had to learn what I was doing. I had to know what I was doing or what I was to do with it. And the same thing is with this, these keys, this gospel message, this information that Jesus is giving them. They have it, but they have no idea what to do with it. They're going to get hurt if they use it, basically. And Peter makes this really clear in the next section. Where he basically gets hurt trying to use it. From this time on, Jesus showed that his disciples, we're in verse 21, his disciples, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men." Peter makes it very clear that he has no idea what to do with this information because when Jesus starts telling them more about what this is for, how this is going to work, he rebukes him and says, no, that's not going to happen. That's not how this works. Now, was Peter in the wrong by doing that? Yes. But did he know he was in the wrong? No. He was just trying to protect his friend, his master, his, t- his teacher. The one that has taught him all these years. He spent three years with the man. And now Jesus is trying to tell him, I've got to die. I've got to suffer. There's a reason for this. And you'll know in your time when it's time. And Peter rebukes him, making the same mistake I was upstairs, having a lot of information, but having no idea how to use it or what to do with it. And that brings us to the last section For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will pay each man according to what he has done. So now, after we bend to the gates of hell, he's standing there probably still or around the area, and now he's telling his the, the disciples, This is your weapons. These are your weapons. Your weapons for. For laying siege to the kingdom of hell. To laying siege against these gates. To barging in. To destroying and tearing down the kingdom of darkness. is sacrifice and love and obedience. Jesus is asking us to be obedient to him. To live a life that conforms to his will and his desire. And not our own. When someone lives a life for their own needs and their own desires they have to ask themselves what side of this gate am i on am i on the side of the gate we're trying to tear down or i'm on the side where they're laying siege am i on the side of darkness or am i on the side of light jesus is asking them to take up their arms to take up their spear their sword their shield, their siege towers Against the kingdom of darkness And he's giving them these weapons But these weapons are, are, are Meant To be obedience Love Faithfulness Basically these weapons are just To serve Jesus You're just serving Jesus Living out your life serving him And with this The walls Fall, the gates fall and like I spoke earlier, when we're when in Minecraft, we use these little lights to keep the monsters away. Whenever we go out into the world and we tell someone about Jesus and they come to know Jesus, although their light may be off and they may be living for themselves in a world full of darkness, when they hear the name of Jesus and come to him as their Savior and their Lord, Their light shines bright. And the goal is to go out into the world, preach the gospel so that more lights can appear. And the more lights that can appear, the kingdom grows and the kingdom of darkness shrinks. It withers away. Now that last verse in this section confused me a little bit, but I kind of figured it out. It says, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, at first I was like, that sounds like the return of Christ, but that can't be right because they're all dead. So, I figured out that it's not Jesus' return. It's the beginning of this war, the beginning of of this campaign to take down the kingdom of darkness, to go out into the world and share the good news of Jesus with others. So I come to you today and ask you, what kind of life are you living? Are you living a life that's, well, in the dark? Is your light burn out? Is it not shining bright? Are you standing on top of these walls of the kingdom of darkness, trying to keep back the kingdom of God? Or does your light shine bright? Are you standing there before Jesus, fighting with him, serving him, loving him, being one with him, letting him lead you, letting him guide you, letting him speak? Through you. As we come to the end of this Christmas season, come to the see that Jesus came and served and lived and died for us, the question really is, are you living for your Jesus? Are your is your light shining bright? The way you do this is by repenting of your sin, confessing them. And coming to Jesus in belief and humility. Admitting that he is the Lord of your life. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. And you want him to direct your path and your way. To follow him and him alone.